Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. Rowan Fay is one of those men that everyone loves, and he loves them back. He preached this sermon in 1985 at the God's Bible School and College Fall Revival, and he titled it, The Four Calls to Soul Winning. This is a classic message, and I know you're going to enjoy it. Keep passing it on, keep passing it on, and I don't want to lose the vision. I don't want to take for granted. I think it was almost 20 years ago when I heard Brother McLaren sing for the first time. And uh, boy, he still got it. That's great. Praise the Lord. I looked him over when I got here and I, I saw a little difference. <laughs> boy, he still got the voice. That really sounded good. Well, I want to thank everybody for a wonderful week. All your prayers and your kindness, your kind remarks, and, and all of your graciousness to me. I've had a wonderful time. Never been treated any better in my life. And uh, I want to thank you, Brother Miller, for asking me to come. As I said earlier, I'm not eloquent and I'm not adequate, but I am willing to do whatever God wants me to do. And uh, it's really been a delight. It's been a very special privilege for me to be with my daughter as a student here. And uh, Lonnie's helped me to just have a great time this week. And uh, all of everybody here, Sister Thompson has just sent kids running just to get things for me and do things. And I just appreciate it. I really do appreciate your kindness. Brother Denzel Ball has been so gracious. Frank Ball, he ran me all over the city of Cincinnati to help me find a shirt that would fit me. Now, that's quite a challenge. You'd think it'd be easy, but it isn't because I've got a great big bull neck and little tiny short arms, and you just can't find shirts to fit guys that are built like I am. I'm built funny. <laughs> Thank you, Frank, for trying so hard. Brother Wolf, appreciate him helping us. And just everybody, my. Brother Jewett, Spencer Kind, Brother Brown, Brother and Sister Brown had me over to their house. And Sister Brown is a fantastic cook. And I appreciate their kindness to me. God bless them. Brother Stamper has been so gracious. It's been so good to be with Brother McLaren again, an old, old friend. And uh, he reminds me of some old times. Charla, 
Thank you, Charlotte, for wrapping that object lesson up for me. Did a beautiful job. Almost hated to destroy all those pretty packages. But Denzel did a good job of tearing them apart. Oh, there's just been a whole bunch of you. The kids that made a mess in my room, I thank you for that. <clears throat> oh, that was really a lot of fun. You just put all those decorations up all over the place and then left that basket of goodies and I got into those. And my, I found pieces of fruit at my door. I found notes on my door. I found notes under the door. I'm taking home a collection of notes that I feel like framing. All those kind remarks. I really do appreciate it. And I never had such a large love offering in my life. Wasn't it Friday? Was it Friday morning? Yeah. Friday morning, the young people gave us a love offering of $400. Praise God. <laughs> I, I don't know how to say thank you. I'm overwhelmed. I really appreciate it. God bless you. It was so kind. And uh, the lovely room that you gave me to stay in, just beautiful, nice and cool. And uh, I get done preaching and I'd be soaked and wet and I'd just go over there and cool off. It felt so good. And uh, the good meals, Joy Fingato's a wonderful cook. God bless Joy. She's a wonderful girl. And uh, we really appreciate her kindness. She did several things to make my stay here a delight. And uh, Bob and Melody, they had us over to their house for a nice little birthday party for Joy. Bob and Melody, I appreciate your hospitality. And uh, oh my, I know I'm leaving several out, but uh, I just appreciate everything. I'd like to have been home today. Today was my anniversary. And, uh, but when I get home tomorrow, Lord willing, if the plane doesn't blow up, <laughs> I tell you, I think my wife and I both hate to read the newspaper in times like this. You pray I'll get home safely because I got a beautiful bride I want to see and some good kids I want to see and a wonderful church that I want to preach to again. You pray that I'll get home safely. But tomorrow, if the Lord gets me home safe, I'm going to take my bride and I'm going to take her to the finest restaurant in town. Uh, second only to the Golden Arches. <laughs> no, really, I, I'm going to take her to a place. Uh, if you ever get out our way, why, if you'll pay the bill, I'll take you there. <clears throat> it's called the Buffalo Head. It's famous. It's way out in the country. And uh, you, all, you have to have a reservation to get in. They pack it out every night. It's a tremendous eating place, and I'm going to take my sweetheart out on our anniversary on the money that you kids gave me. So uh, I can hardly wait to get home. Before I preach tonight, I'd like to tell you a little bit about my church. Can I do that? I'm doing this for a reason. <clears throat> There's uh, young men here that I hope will be pastoring a church someday. I'd like to share some things with you that might help you, make you, uh, maybe be a blessing to you. I pastor a missionary church, really. It's a brand new church. And yet, really, truthfully, my church is really 50 years old. And I want to tell you a little bit about it. And I'd like you to learn something by what I tell you. I'd like to urge you young men that uh, are going to have a church to 
build yourself a little graph. And if you go to a church that's been in existence for a while, I'd like to recommend that you go back through the records and you graph uh, the growth and the uh, development of, your ch of the church that you go to pastor and then set some goals as to what you feel God wants you to do as you pastor in that church. I went back all, over all of our records <clears throat> and uh, in 1935 when our church started and I made a graph of the church attendance and uh, the first pastor who pastored there for a number of years did a wonderful job. And for the first 10 years, if I had a big blackboard here tonight, I'd show you. For the first 10 years, the Marcy, Utica, Marcy, Pilgrim Holiness Church grew at the rate of 20% a year. That's a very uh, modest but reasonable growth. I think any church could set a goal of 20% growth a year. And they did that. They grew for 20, grew at the rate of 20% a year for the first 10 years. But then something happened in that church that happens to many, many, many churches. I have gone over our conference minutes and I uh, grew up in our conference. In fact, I grew up in the conference parsonage. And uh, I've got records all the way back and, and uh, many, many churches have done this. They got to a saturation point. The church was full at right about 100. That's, that's, that was full, comfortably full. And so when they reached 100, for the next 14 years, they just tabled. Oh, you know, up and down, but right about 100 for 14 years. Now, if they hadn't, if they'd have kept growing at the rate of 20% a year from that point until tonight, from that point till tonight would have been 40 years. From the beginning, it would have been 50. From the point where they started to level off to tonight, that would have been 40 years. If they'd have kept growing at the rate of 20%, knock the walls out, knock the building down, build a bigger one, buy a bigger one, something, do something so that they had more room for more people and went after more people if they'd have kept doing that, which they should have done, could have done. I wonder if you would have a guess as to how many people would be in our church tonight if they had kept growing at the rate of 20% a year, no more, no less, 20% a year for those 50 years. I've asked that question to a number of people, to my own congregation and to many other congregations as I've shared the principles of church growth. And the highest guess that anyone's ever made has been 6,000. The actual figure is 111,300. Now you say, well, Brother Faye, that's unreasonable. That's ridiculous. You're being silly. Well, I don't know how ridiculous it is. All I know is that, they, that the church grew for 20% for 10 years. And uh, it's been growing for better than 20% for the last six years. This year we grew 78%. And I, I just have a feeling we can keep growing if we want to. Amen. Sister Connie Palm came to our Sunday school about five years ago. And she said, Brother Faye, you're done. I said, Sister Palm, what do you mean we're done? We haven't even begun to fight. She said, you don't have any more room. And I said, well, Sister Palm, maybe we don't have any more room right this minute, but we're going to have more room. And so we put an addition on our church, and that's full. So I've got to build another addition. And I'm asking God for $100,000. And I believe God's going to give it to me. 
I know he's going to give it to me. I know that our church is going to keep growing. My growth pattern and goal is 2,000 for the year 2000. My goal is to have 2,000 people in my church by the year 2000. That's only 15 years away, uh, but by the help of God, we'll do it. <laughs> Thank you, Brother Sutherland. Brother Sutherland's my friend. I like him. I'm glad he's sitting over there. If I get in the brush tonight, he's going to holler amen real loud and pull me through. Praise God. Young men, really, set your goals high. God will bless you if you will. Uh, our churches desperately need men who are leading them that have a vision. And our churches will never have a vision unless our pastors have vision. I want you to pray for me tonight as I share with you my favorite sermon. And I do need your help. I'm not going to ask you to turn in your Bible. I'm going to share with you a few portions of Scripture and then tie them all together. And if you want to find out what they are, you get a copy of the tape and you dig them out later. But uh, before I do that, I want to ask God to help me tonight. Would you bow your heads with me? Pray, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you for thy presence in this revival meeting. And really, you have helped us in every service, and we're grateful. Lord, we're thankful for those that got saved this morning. Well, thank you for those that have received help. And, oh, God, we don't want any of the credit for any of that. We believe God the Holy Spirit is in faithfulness, spoken to hearts, and we're grateful. We appreciate the good crowd tonight. We thank you for your presence that we feel. We feel a good atmosphere, and we like to preach in this kind of an atmosphere. Lord, the message that's on our heart tonight is something that burns there. And, Lord, don't let ever let that fire die. Don't let it ever let the vision dim. Keep my own vision clear, and, Lord, make it clearer. And may it get broader and bigger. Help me to keep my heart open to what God wants to accomplish in my own church. And, Lord, help Brother Miller. He's got a big vision. God, honor that vision. And may God's Bible school just keep growing and going for God and doing great things. And may a multitude of men and women go out from the halls of learning here to make an impact on the world for Christ and to win many into the fold. God grant it. Accomplish your will in this service. Crown it with glory and thy blessing. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> in Proverbs chapter 24 and in verse 18, we read, Where there is no vision, the people perish. The Apostle Paul said, I cannot be disobedient under the heavenly vision. Peter and John, when told not to preach and teach anymore in the name of Jesus, they said, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. The writer of the Hebrews, and I'm not sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. Some think it was Paul. Some think it was Apollos. Some have said Barnabas. It might have been Leslie Wilcox. I'm not sure. I tend to think it might have been the latter. I don't, it doesn't matter who wrote the book of Hebrews, but the writer said, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. And in Acts chapter 16, the apostle Paul said, that was on his second missionary journey. He said he heard a voice. And that voice said, come over into Macedonia and help us. And in Luke chapter 16, we have the story of the rich man who when he had been refused the privilege of receiving a little drop of water as he suffered in hell. 
suggested to Father Abraham that he would send Lazarus back to warn his five brothers not to come where he was. I'd like to tie these together tonight with the help of the Lord. And I ask God to give you an eye of vision. I'd like to talk to you about the four calls to soul winning. Six years ago, God called me to pastor the Marcy Pilgrim Holiness Church. I never wanted to leave the beautiful Skinevis Valley where I was pastoring. I thought I was pastoring in the Holy Land. I loved it where I was. I was very happy, very contented, and enjoying the ministry that God had given us there in East Worcester, New York. But God began to deal with me about going to Utica before anybody said a thing. In fact, well, maybe I shouldn't say before anybody said a thing. A year previously, the church had called me to come there and pastor, and I said, oh, no, 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 I, I'm not going to leave East Worcester. And I said no, and they called another man, and I just forgot about it. But during that next year, God began to help me to see the need to go to Utica. I couldn't understand that. I was uh, rather puzzled by it. I was almost embarrassed by it because at that point I figured, well, a new man's there. He'll stay there for a long time. So I never said a word to my wife or to another soul in the world. I just began to say, now, Lord, I don't understand this. Is this you? Is this Satan? What's going on? And the burden just kept growing. One of the things that made it difficult was that I had visited Utica as a boy with my dad. And I had visions of the city of Utica that I didn't like. It was a dirty, smoggy city. And, uh, well, I, it just didn't appeal to me. The big city of Utica just did not appeal to me. And I really didn't want to go there. It was in the city of Utica long before I was born that my dad and Clifton Berg went out on the streets of the city with a Bible and a guitar and started holding street meetings. That's how the church started. When my dad and Brother Berg started to preach and sing on the streets, they brought my dad and Brother Berg into the police court. They were going to put him in jail. My dad said to the chief of police, Sir, before you put me in jail, I'd like to sing a song for you. <laughs> and uh, they played a song on the guitar and sang. And, and uh, my dad told the chief of police that he was trying to lead people to Christ. And the chief of police said, Well, Reverend, he said, I think we need that in our town. You go right back out on the street and we'll make sure nothing happens to you. From those meager beginnings came the Utica Pilgrim Holiness Church. I said when I was a boy, this is the last place I'd ever want to live. It may be the last place I'll ever live. I said, let me walk in the fields. He said, no, walk in the town. But I said, there are no flowers there. He said, no flowers but a crown. But I said, the air is thick and the fog is veiling the sun. But he said, souls are sick and walk in darkness undone. But I said, the sky is black and there is nothing but noise and din. But he wept as he led me back. He said, there is more, there is sin. I begged for more time to be given. He said, my child, is it hard to decide? It will not seem hard in heaven to have followed the steps of thy guide. But I said, I'll miss the flowers and my friends will miss me, they say. I said, my, he said, my child, choose tonight if I am to miss you or they. So I took one look at the fields and cast my eye toward the town. 
He said, my child, won't you yield and exchange your flowers for a crown? So into his hand went mine, and into my heart came he. And now I walk in a light divine, and a path that I once dreaded to see. And so six years ago, I became the pastor of the Utica Pilgrim Holiness Church. For these six years, the conviction has been growing that unless we became an old-fashioned, soul-winning church, we would lose our right to exist. You know, there's a reason for your church. There's a reason for every church. Oh, I know there probably are many reasons, but there's one main reason. And that's to win souls to Jesus Christ. The emphasis at Marcy has been soul winning. I don't want that to ever change. Another pastor whose emphasis is soul winning was approached by one of his members and said, Pastor, we used to hire an evangelist twice a year. And we used to hire a song evangelist twice a year. And we'd hold a revival meeting and people would get saved. But this board member said to the pastor, but pastor, since you come, it's soul winning Sunday morning and it's soul winning Sunday night and it's soul winning Monday night and it's soul winning Tuesday night and it's soul winning Wednesday night and it's soul winning Thursday night and it's soul winning Friday night and it's soul winning Saturday night and it starts all over again on Sunday morning. Pastor, why can't you be like other pastors? Why can't we have a church where we have a revival meeting twice a week, twice a year, and why does it have to be soul winning and the pressure's on all the time? Amen. <clears throat> this individual said, Pastor, I went to church last Sunday morning. I went to Sunday school and I went to church. And my neighbor, he went to his church, he went to Sunday school and he went to church. He went to Sunday school and church and came home, changed his clothes, had dinner, read the Sunday school paper and took a nap and was just getting up when I was getting home. Why can't we be like another church? Pastor, he said, we sang 53 stanzas of just as I am without one plea and there's only five stanzas. We sang it 10 times all the way through in three extra verses. Why is the pressure on for people to get saved in every service? Why? Why do you have to, why is it soul winning all the time? I can tell you why it's soul winning all the time. Because that's our reason for existence. Young men who are going to enter the ministry, you who are going to pastor, your passion must be for souls. There are four reasons why I want my church to be a soul winning church. I won't have any other kind. There's four reasons. First of all, there's a call from within. It's got to be that way. That's just, there's something burning down inside of me, Brother Miller, that says that's the kind of church I've got to have. Down deep in my heart, there's a call from God that says, I've got to have a soul winning church. The apostle Paul said, I cannot be disobedient under the heavenly vision. And God's given me a vision of bringing people into the fold. 
Like the woman at Sychar's well who said, come and see a man who told me everything that I did. Or like Peter and John who said, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. I'm praying tonight that God will give every potential pastor in this building and the pastors that are here that are visiting a vision and a burden that your church will be a soul winning church. Some of you have not pastored yet and you've probably thought, I wonder what kind of a church my first church will be. I wonder if any of you have thought that. Tonight, I'd like to challenge you to ask God, Lord, it isn't the kind of church that it is, but Lord, I want you to give me the kind of church you want me to have. Not so much in its present state, but that's the only kind of church that I want to lead and to pastor. Amen. You see, you'll get the kind of church you deserve. If you're a soul winner, you'll have a soul winning church. And if you're not a soul winner, you will not have a soul winning church. There's a call from within and there's a call from without. The call from without is something like the call that the apostle Paul heard, come over into Macedonia and help us. How can you walk down the street of your city and not be moved with a sense of need of the people in your city? Yesterday, as we were walking down the streets of Cincinnati and handing out tracts, my heart was heavy for the people that we spoke to. They need Jesus. They need Jesus desperately. And I thank God for the young lady that knelt at this altar this morning from the mission. Amen. Thank God. Thank God. They need Jesus. And if you see them in their stress and in their trouble and in their drunken stupor and in their search for happiness, you know they need what you've got. You know they need what you've got. How can you walk down the streets of your city and not be moved? There are thousands of people around us who do not know how to be saved. They don't know. I don't know how many people that in leading to the Lord, I had to tell them how to pray. Have you ever led anybody to the Lord like that? You know, we're, we're in a religious culture and... Uh, and that's fine. I thank God for our great big holiness family. And some of us have been in this great big holiness family so long that here's what we think of when we think of soul winning. We think of a revival meeting like this and we think of somebody coming to the altar like many have in this revival and kneeling there and we go down and we start praying with them. And this is all right. I'm not making fun, please. I'm not making, I, I do this. I believe in this. But we get down and we just start praying for them. Oh God, help them. And we slap them on the back and we go through our religious phraseology and we pray hard and loud that God will you know, meet their need and all of that. That's fine. That's okay. But there are some people who wouldn't know what you were doing. They wouldn't even know what you meant. What do you mean be saved? They don't even know what that means. And if you're going to the ministry and you don't know how to lead a person to Christ that knows nothing about the gospel, you're in bad shape. If you've never had to show somebody even how to pray, you've got a delight coming 
It's fun. It's a thrill. It's a delight to show somebody how to be saved. Praise God. It brings more delight in my heart than any other activity in my life to take somebody who doesn't know anything about salvation and show them how to be saved. I'm simply saying to you tonight that we don't have to have dead, dry churches. We don't have to have barren altars. We need strength to bring forth and God wants to give us that strength. Amen. I believe you can have an old-fashioned holiness church and win souls. Amen. I believe you can have an old-fashioned holiness church with standards and be a soul-winning church. I believe that we, we need in this generation a group of old-fashioned holiness, hellfire and brimstone preachers who aren't afraid of, of those laymen that think they're God's gift to Wall Street that want to water this thing down. Listen, we need to just preach it hot and go get it. Amen. Just go get it. There are sinners out there that are hungry and the devil wants us to think they don't want to be saved. But you'd be surprised how many people are still searching and don't know where to find the peace that you and I enjoy. There's also a call from above. Jesus, my Savior, is in heaven and he told me to go into the uttermost part of the earth. Now, not that I've got to go everywhere and preach, but he told me that that's what he cares. He has a vision and he's put that vision in my heart. And the word tells us that there's a cloud of witnesses that are watching and they're looking down from heaven and they're watching what we're doing. You know that? In April in 1973, my daddy went to heaven. And I believe my daddy tonight is saying, Rowan, tell him to go soul winning. Tell him to go soul winning. You know they care about soul winning in heaven? They really do. They care about soul winning in heaven. The Bible tells me that there is joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner that repentant more than in 99 just persons that need no repentance. Oh, when one person comes to God, the angels in heaven rejoice. All across this nation tonight, there are people who don't care whether the lost get saved. But I believe God wants us as spiritual leaders to carry the torch and preach it and teach it and do it. Amen. Amen. Oh, God, give us soul-winning pastors across America. America is not going to be changed by even good politicians. America is not going to be changed by a better economic system. America is not going to be spared by social reform. The only hope that America has is for God to give us soul-winning pastors and soul-winning laymen and get the attention and the focus of lost sinners on Jesus Christ. There's a call from above. God wants us to go soul-winning. I prayed a few years ago that God would help me to win at least one bus driver to Jesus. The reason I prayed that prayer is so that the church doesn't have to pay me a lot of money, cost a lot of money to run buses and run a Christian school. And so I don't take a large salary from our church and to help out, I drive the public school bus a little bit. And I got to know all the drivers at the bus garage at, the, at this public school system. And I was there for a while and 
And I, I began to feel bad. I said, Lord, I haven't won one bus driver to Jesus. And I said, Lord, please help me to win one of these bus drivers to the Lord. <clears throat> one of the bus drivers I found out had to quit the job because of a very serious illness. And so in March, <clears throat> I went to visit Joyce and I discovered that her illness was terminal. And I said, Joyce, if you knew that you were gonna die today, do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you'd go to heaven? She said, no, Reverend, I don't know that. And I opened my Bible to Romans 3.10 and Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23 and I showed her how she could be saved and, and I said, Joyce, wouldn't you like to give your heart to God today? And she said, yeah, I would. And she bowed her head and prayed and Jesus saved her right there, right there. That was in March. <clears throat> in May, I got a phone call from the family and they said, Reverend, please come to the hospital quick. Joyce wants to see you. I visited the hospital with my wife and we went into the room and Joyce was sinking fast. She looked up to me and had a big smile on her face. And she said, Reverend, I'm ready to go. I'm going to meet Jesus. I said, Joyce, hold on a minute. I've got to get the kids. And I went into the waiting room and gathered her, her children around the bedside. And I said, Joyce, I want you to tell your children what's happening. And she said, children, she said, your mommy's getting ready to go to heaven. And I, I've given my heart to Jesus and I've been saved. And she said, children, I'm going to heaven and I want you, to, I want you all to meet me in heaven. And one by one around that hospital bed, those children promised their mommy they'd all meet her in heaven. Joyce is in heaven. She died just a few moments. But Joyce is in heaven tonight. And I believe Joyce is saying, preacher, I'm glad you came to my door. I believe she's saying, preacher, I'm glad you went soul winning. I believe she's saying, preacher, keep soul winning. I believe she's saying, preacher, tell those Bible school boys to go soul winning. Because preacher, if you didn't go soul winning, if you didn't come to my door, I'd be in hell tonight. I believe, she, I believe she's telling me, preacher, go soul winning. There's a call from beneath. Dives, the rich man, went to hell. And he lifted up his eyes in torment. He wanted just a drop of water to cool his parched tongue. But Father Abraham said, no, there's a great gulf fixed and those that would come from here to help you can't do it. Those that would escape from where you are to come to here can't do it. And the rich man said, oh, Father Abraham, if I can have no relief, would you please send somebody so winning? Would you send somebody to my five brothers Send a soul winner to visit my five brothers lest they come to this awful place of torment. Tonight, there's a call from this pulpit. Go soul winning. There's a call from within. There's a call from without. There's a call from above. There's a call from beneath. And there's a call from this pulpit. This is very simple tonight. I've talked about it 
all week. But young people, I thank God and I agree with Brother Miller. I thank God for the talent that's here. I thank God for the beautiful quartets. I thank God for the beautiful trios. I thank God for the beautiful solos. I thank God for that beautiful violin duet that was played the other night. I thank God for the beautiful band. I thank God for everything that God's Bible school is doing in the way of music. It's got a ministry and it's worthwhile. But young people, whether you play a violin or whether you sing, whatever course you're taking, it makes no difference if you're a Christian. You ought to be a soul winner. You ought to be a soul winner. Brother Fay, I don't know how to win souls. Well, you may not. And I, I think you ought to know how to win souls. You, you surely should. But you know, don't forget, there's still something that's very valuable. And I don't want you to use this for an excuse, but I want you to recognize its value. And that's called invitation evangelism. It's real. It works. I ran out of gas one day with my pickup truck. And a neighbor friend of mine pushed me into the gas station. The man was filling the tank with gas and he made some joke about my running out of gas. And I said, yeah. I said, boy, this is tough. I said, it's good for your prayer life. And he looked at me and he said, are you a Christian? I said, yeah. I said, I, I am a Christian. I said, are you a Christian? And he said, well, he said, I've been going to a Bible study. I said, do you like Bible studies? He said, I love Bible studies. It was Wednesday afternoon, and I said, we're having a Bible study at our church tonight, and it's right up around the corner, and I told him how to get there. I said, why don't you come to our Bible study? He said, I'll be there. Now, like you, I've had a lot of people tell me, you know, I'll be there. <laughs> You've had a lot of people tell you that. And I'll confess, I'm sorry to admit it, but I forgot all about I'd even invited him. I've had so many people tell me, Reverend, I'll be there. You can depend on me. I'll be there. You know, and they don't show. So I forgot all about it. But Wednesday night in the middle of service, in walked this man and his neighbor and his neighbor's wife. Amen. Now, I want to close real quick. I'm not going to tell you the whole story. It's pretty exciting. But out of that one invitation, 32 people came through the doors of our little church. Amen. And a majority of them got saved. One invitation. Just one invitation. And through that one young man, 32 people walked through the door. Not as a result of what I did, but as a result of what he did. He went everywhere, everywhere telling everybody. I got phone calls. And people said, there's a guy that told us about your church. When are your services? And it was him. It was that same fellow. How many people did you invite to this revival meeting? Amen. How many people are you planning on inviting to the church that you attend or the mission that you attend this coming week? You know, young people, every time I've preached in this revival meeting, I felt something just a little bit different than the previous time that I preached. And tonight, as I came to church, I had all kinds of feelings, but I really wanted to share this little simple truth with you because I know this. Brother Miller, this excites me. 
I don't know how accurate it is. Brother Brown thought maybe there could be almost 800 people here tonight. Does that sound about right? Is that what you said? Can you imagine what would happen if 800 people went out of here tonight and just 800 invited one person? I'm not talking even about soul winning, but you just, if 800 people invited one person to attend a gospel preaching church, whether it would be here at the school or a mission or one of the local churches, if those 800 people would invite one person and that one person it was in turn responsible for 32 more people, what in the world would happen around the city of Cincinnati? I, I, I say this kindly, but I really wonder sometimes what we're doing. I really wonder what, where our minds are. I wonder what's our heart on. I wonder if we really care. Do we? Do you really care? I want to tell you something tonight. I'm sure you know it. Jesus cares. But if Jesus could save the whole world without you and me, he'd have already done it. God's waiting to work through you and me. And he does it in response to people that care, that really care, that really care, that really care until we weep and we pray and we go beyond the walls even of our prayer closet and we speak to people about their soul and we talk to them about Jesus and we tell them that we care. One more illustration and I'll close. I spoke to another bus driver one day. We were in the, in the room where we wait to take our buses out. And I looked up at this young man and he looked, he looked like he was very distraught. And I said, Rob, I said, I'd really appreciate it if you'd come to my church Sunday morning. And Rob Evans looked at me. They all call me Rev over at the bus garage. And he said, Rev, nobody ever invited me before. He said, I'll come. He's saved tonight and he's one of our bus drivers. Just because somebody invited him to church. You know, we complicate this thing, don't we? If you don't know the Roman road, you can smile and be friendly and invite somebody to the, to the services. Amen. How long has it been? How long has it been since you said to the guy that works next to you at McDonald's? Some of you work at McDonald's. I know you do. Have you asked those fellows and those girls that work behind the counter to go to church with you? Have you? Some of you married couples live in apartments here in the city of Cincinnati. How about the guy in the apartment upstairs or the apartment downstairs or the apartment next door? How about the, the lady that waited on you last time you went to the store and the man that pumped the gas into your car? You know, you'd be surprised how big the sphere of our influence is. Amen. You'd be surprised. 
Now the aisle's not full with people running around and I'm not preaching dynamic tonight. I'm not all wound up here tonight and all excited. But if the few people that are here tonight, and it's few compared to the whole world, if the few people that are here tonight could catch a vision, a vision that's broad and a vision that's clear of what God wants to do, oh, it would just shock us what would happen. Now, I believe in prayer meetings, and we've got to pray. And I believe in good music. But listen, folks, this is a people business. And if you expect to go into the ministry, young man, you better ask God to give you a love for people. Amen. Do you love people? God loves people. What does it mean to be God-like? Oh, dress standards. No, to be God-like, you've got to love people. The first commandment is that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul and all thy might. But the second is so close to it that you can't separate them that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Don't tell me you love your neighbor and you've never invited him to church. Don't tell me you love your neighbor and you don't pray for him. Don't tell me you love your neighbor and you've never tried to lead him to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now I'd like to close the revival meeting on a high note, but we've had, we've had plenty of high notes. You can't have high notes every, every service. And I feel like tonight I've minded the Lord. I thank you for your kind attention. I thank you for praying for me. I thank you for your kindness to me. I thank you for the generous offering. I thank you for paying for my ticket out here. And I thank you for letting me go home and buying me a ticket home. I want you to pray for me, young people. That Rowan Fay will be a soul winner. I haven't done the job like I ought to do it. As I leave God's Bible school, I'm going to leave God's Bible school with a prayer in my heart that every one of you will become great soul winners. Amen. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Amen. You know, of all the things that could happen in this institution, really there isn't anything better than that, that this institution could send soul winners out of here. That would make Brother Miller happy. I know it would. That would make the board members happy, and that would make God pleased. You pray for me. I'll pray for you. Let's stand. Let the heritage of holiness that has been passed on. I don't want to lose the fire. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Interchurch Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17